This is Voices of Texas, the podcast about Texans. Recording from Brownwood, in the heart of Texas, here's your host, Matthew Hinman. Welcome to Voices of Texas, the podcast about Texans. And I'm glad that you're listening, especially now that Voices of Texas is now in its second season. And in case you're just starting to listen to the show, let me extend a warm Texas welcome to you. I always try to find interesting Texans with fascinating stories to tell each episode. This episode is no exception because I welcome back to the show Sonia Van Meter. Now, Sonia was on episode 12, and we last spoke to her in February. Sonia, I'm really glad to have you back on the program. Thanks so much. I've been looking forward to this. And like, like I said, we last visited in February, and it was just a couple of days before a big announcement about the Mars One Project. What, what happened that day? You know what? It was a very, very exciting day for me. Um, a couple days later, after we spoke last time, I found out that the pool of applicants was going to be reduced to a mere 100 candidates, 50 men and 50 women worldwide. And I was selected as one of those candidates. And that has got to be really exciting. Now, since then, you've kind of just been all over the map. Uh, <laughs> uh, you've done quite a few uh, radio and television appearances. Um, I mean, what are, what are some of the things that, that thrilled you the most about that? You know, I have gotten a, a modest amount of press coverage uh, for, my, for my participation in this program. Um, I did a few, a, a few spots on you know, CNN and MSNBC, Fox Business, uh, Al Jazeera, BBC World News. But truly, my favorite part of this is having the opportunity to go to schools to Skype in with uh, children's communities, uh, Girl Scouts, Boy Scouts, organizations like that who, who let me talk to children about why space exploration is so important. Right, right. Now, so I guess I should really try to clarify for my listeners here a little bit, if they didn't catch you on the previous episode, what this is all about. And that is about <laughs> the Mars One mission. And a lot of people don't know what the Mars One mission is. And that is, it is a private endeavor to, to have humans on Mars, but there's more to it than that. Can you maybe expound upon it a little bit? Certainly. So uh, Baz Lansdorp, our fearless leader, made a whole bunch of money in wind and solar energy once upon a time and decided that he wanted to turn his energies upward. It was his idea to colonize Mars, to be the first program, first organization to put people on Mars. And there is a catch. That catch is that once we're there, we don't get to come back. This is a one-way mission. And that's where the organization's name comes from, the Mars One Project. It is one-way trip. And for that reason, they opened up the application process to anyone in the world who was interested. And after having several thousand people express interest in their organization, they narrowed the applicant pool down to 100 candidates just last, uh, just last spring, and here I am today as one of them. Yeah, it was really exciting to see some of those uh, uh, appearances that you had because, uh, in particular, I got a real kick out of the Larry Wilmore show. And, and I mean, well, the guy's yeah, the guy's hilarious, and and you know your presence on there definitely uh, evened it out a little bit. But uh, you got to visit with a uh, a Martian, I, I guess, uh, at least entertainment wise. Uh, Don Cheadle was there <laughs> with you. What 
How was that? Was that kind of cool visiting with someone who had the the privilege of playing a Martian anyway? Oh my gosh, he was he was a riot. He was a very very fun person to talk to. Um, and the, one of the other people on that episode was uh, was Lee Daniels, director and producer Lee Daniels of um, of The Butler, mm-hmm. the new series called Empire. And he was just the most charming person I have spoken to in ages. And he could not have been more excited or more enthusiastic about, uh, about Mars One. But he was a lot of fun to talk to as well. Well, with all this in mind and all these things that have been happening, has making this, this top 100 list, has it changed your thinking about life or has it affected you in some way now that you know you're in that, that, that pool? Really, um, you know the, the the sort of thing about this is that I have always been enthusiastic about space exploration. You know, having the opportunity to apply for Mars One was was really all I thought was going to come of this. You know, I thought, yeah, I'll throw my hat in the ring, and that way I'll be able to say that you know when the opportunity presented itself, I wasn't afraid to try. And then, oh my gosh, how in the world did this happen? I find myself as one of a hundred candidates still left standing. So I'm not going to say it hasn't been a bit of a, a bit of a crazy ride, but I mean my my days are still very normal and usual. I I go to work, I hang out with my husband, I I hang out with my stepchildren, you know I I do grocery shopping, I cook, I clean, you know pay my bills. It's uh it, it really hasn't upset life all that much just yet. I'm sure you do have to travel a lot for some of these little appearances every now and then. <laughs> I, you know, not as much as you would think. At really? the time uh, when they had made this announcement, as you know, I was actually living just outside of the Washington, D.C. area, which is a big old media hub. So I didn't have to travel very far at all. But now that I'm back in Texas, of course, you know, that could change a bit. Absolutely. Well, now, thinking about all the, the things that have been happening around us, in particular, just a couple of weeks ago, there was the theatrical release of... Uh, the Martian, which is uh, Andy, based on Andy Weir's book, uh, the story of Mark Watney, this astronaut who kind of gets accidentally stranded on Mars and tries to survive long enough in, in his case to be rescued. And you and I both discussed before that we've, we went to see the film, we've read the book, and, you know, obviously that's a little bit of a different take on things, but do you identify at all with Mark Watney? I mean, does... And does does fiction like this help or hurt uh, your mission? Well, I absolutely think that fiction like this encourages and helps uh, any any plan to get to Mars. The longer that Mars stays in sort of the um, the hive mind, as long as you know the, the the general population is thinking about it and daydreaming about it and being excited about it, I mean that's just all the better. That's more political will for organizations like NASA and ESA and, you know, all sorts of private space endeavors to keep going. You know, as long as, as the general public is still excited about it, you know, that's when we stand the best chance of actually making these programs happen. So I was very, very excited about Andy's book and even more excited when I heard it was going to be turned into a movie. But I can't say that I identified with the character, <laughs> mostly because he had no intention of staying on Mars no. that long. You know, when, when our mission goes, if our mission goes, when we go, there's, there's no coming back. There's no, you know, fondly wishing for, for hearth and home. You're there. That's, that's your life. That's your home. So, you know, we'll be better prepared. We will have more than just potatoes. 
you know, our, our habitats will be set up to, to, you know, contain life for longer than 31 days. I imagine that we are going to have to, uh, to quote from the movie, science the you-know-what out of things. But the Mark's character was, was only supposed to be on that planet for about a month. So it was, it was traumatic. It was traumatic what happened to him. And I'm not right. hoping that what happens to, to my folks when we go isn't as, as horrifying or trying <laughs> to the psyche. It, it, was, it was quite interesting. And I'll say this. First of all, Andy Weir, a lot of people may not realize this, but he, he apparently has a background in some, some type of related field to, to uh, space exploration. And so his book, uh, for those who haven't read it, is, is a little bit scientific in nature. I mean, it really gets down to the, to the science-y aspects of things. And it I think does. It, it was a, I'm sorry. Well, I was just going to say, I think if, if Andy hadn't been uh, that kind of person, it would have been a little over-fictionalized because a lot of what he wrote really has a lot of fact to it, even though it, it, it technically is a science fiction story. No, you're right, and I think that's the glory of the book. He could have waxed poetic about, you know, the the existential, you know, sort of adventure of being stuck on this planet, and he could have, it could, like you said, it could have been, you know, kind of heavy-handed and overwrought, but instead it focused on the technical aspects, you know, the, the science and engineering of trying to keep yourself alive on this incredibly hostile planet, which I think made it very, very readable. And as you said, Andy has a, a background in something to do with, with, uh, with engineering, I believe. But also, and a lot of people don't know this, this book was very much sort of crowdsourced uh, in terms of the technical expertise. He would write it chapter by chapter and get feedback from a lot of people in the aerospace community, tweaking and sort of perfecting the science and engineering behind it. So, um, you know, at the end of the day, what we were left with is, you know, a really magnificently written how-to manual for how to survive on Mars. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I mean, I've gone through and read, gone back and read some of the material that I read before just to see the accuracy behind it. And there is a, a lot of accuracy in what uh, what is presented in both the book and the film. Obviously, the film, I think, took some uh, artistic liberties, but that's, you know, that's normal to for Hollywood. So certainly, and I think they were very appropriate. I don't think they deviated very much from the actual core of the story, and the tweaks that they did make, uh, I had very little objection to. Well, now related to that, also kind of a, a big topic of late. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, we had a rather stunning announcement from NASA that they found liquid water on the red planet. And what do you think? that discovery is going to do, how is that going to impact some of the plans for, for Mars One? You know what, there's, there's a lot of speculation about that. And to be quite honest, I'm not entirely sure. This could go in a number of different directions. What a lot of people don't know is that when you find water on another planet, um, you're not allowed to go near it. It's it's uh, it's frustrating because you know, why, know why is that? I'm, I'm curious. Uh, why is that? Yeah, because um, where there's water, there's a very distinct possibility that there's life, and there are internationally agreed upon rules about how to deal with that sort of scenario. 
Ah. And the, the number one priority is to not contaminate whatever living material is already on that planet. We don't have a right to just go and contaminate whatever environment there may actually be life in. Now, you know, we, we don't think twice about stepping on an ant or, you know, cleaning up mold or, or, you know, destroying life on this planet is old news. We do it every day without even thinking about it. But if you were to find life on Mars, we have to show much, much greater respect for that life, no matter how small. Wow. So, yeah, if, if, if there really is water, we're not allowed to go anywhere near it, which is, which is difficult, you know, because humans need water. And if we ever get humanity to Mars, and I certainly hope that we do, uh, we're going to need to be able to utilize the resources at hand. And if that, if that water, if those resources are, you know, a, a haven for, for early life, yeah, we, we can't contaminate it. So we can't even go near it. Well, I was, I was thinking back to the, the story that we just talked about, about Mark Watney and, and how he manufactured water from the, from the liquid oxygen that he had there mm-hmm. on the hydrazine. I, I think of sciencing that and because you're going to be able to bring only so much water because water inherently is, is heavy. You know, it's like eight pounds per gallon and the average person mm-hmm. needs, you know, a gallon a day just to survive, mm-hmm. just to, just to function. And so you think about that and, and you're talking about, I believe Mars one is initially looking at sending four people on, on its first trip. Four people on the four. first trip. That, that's a lot of water to, to consider. And then even if you did recycle, I think you're going to, in somewhere along the way, you're going to have loss. You're going to have loss of water somewhere along the way. So even with recycling efforts in place, I, I think you're going to have to come up with some type of way to, uh, to kind of manufacture your own. I think that's, I think that's absolutely going to be the case. And I look forward to seeing more details about Mars One's plans uh, for that kind of thing. Cause that's not something you can run out of, you know, you, you run out of, you know, some things and you'll probably, there are ways of, of managing, but water is just, <laughs> I mean, that is a building block, you know, for human beings. Yeah. We, we don't get to, to do without that. So, but I mean, the, the nice thing is that, you know, the, the body only borrows water. So in a, right. in a closed loop, uh, you know, loss, I, I'm hoping is going to be minimal. Yeah. I would think that it would be, you know, it's, it is a pretty controlled environment. You look at just what, what NASA is currently doing. They're they're recycling pretty much a hundred percent of what they have mm-hmm. in there. So that's what they do. It is doable, and and obviously we have some uh, brilliant scientists working on that. Well, now interestingly enough, uh, since since we last talked, we've had a few people that are a little negative about this. Uh, NASA has gone so far as to say that no one's going to get to Mars before they do. First of all, let, let's touch on that topic just a little bit first before I go into the next one. NASA saying that they're going to be first. Do you really mm-hmm. think that's the case? I mean, obviously you have a lot of faith in the Mars One mission, but I, I, I'm not sure that I have enough faith in NASA to make it happen. What do you think? Well, I mean, NASA is, is, the, is the premier agency in terms of space exploration. They have done what no one else on the planet has been able to do. So I, their confidence in that statement is certainly justified. But these days, you know, a, a mission to Mars is going to require some very new and very creative thinking. And NASA's big hiccup is that they are a government-funded agency. And as a government-funded agency, are therefore subject to a lot of government regulation. 
Mm-hmm. Those are very binding, binding things and really time-assed hands on a lot of what they want to do. So while they certainly have, you know, the, the brain power, the, the creativity, and many of the resources to get this done, they are limited in, in that respect. And that's why you've got agencies like, you know, the Mars One Project and SpaceX and, you know, private industry people that are kind of bringing up the rear now. I firmly believe that a first mission to Mars is very likely going to be a public-private endeavor. I think it's going to take NASA. I think it's going to take SpaceX. I think it's going to take a lot of different players to pull this off. So, you know, I, I mean, I, I've also seen, <laughs> I did an interview recently where, where the, the host said, hey, you know, Vegas is now taking bets on, on who's going to be the, the first organization to get to Mars. <laughs> and the odds for NASA being the one were like 15 to 1. And other agencies were, you know, 400 to 1 and 800 to 1. Apparently Mars was something like, oh, I forget what it was, but they had some of the best odds of being there. Wow. Of being the first first people to land on Mars. And I, I could not believe it because, you know, as you've observed, Mars One has taken a big old beating in the press. Right. And there are still a whole lot of technical hurdles to sort of overcome. But I was very encouraged by that because, you know, <laughs> Vegas takes their numbers very, very seriously. And I'm sure some very impressive calculations went into to all of that. So, you know, I'm not you know, putting all of my faith in, in Mars One just because Vegas says so. Well, but, there is you know, one I, thing to be said. One thing to be said about that in particular is the Mars One mission that is their focus. That is what they're doing is, is planning mm-hmm. to go to the red planet. NASA has got a lot of irons in the fire. So does SpaceX, X-Core, all of the, uh, all the private agencies that are out there. They have a lot of other things going on. You know, they're busy launching communication satellites and, and uh, other space exploration uh, devices. That the Mars One mission has one mission, and that is to go colonize Mars. So I, I would think that would it, it give them a little specific. bit of a greater chance. Uh, I certainly hope so. You know, but you know, at the end of the day, I, as much as I would love to be part of this, and as love as much as I would love to see Mars One uh, succeed here, I am all about humanity getting to that red rock. How it happens, who goes, who sends them there, who gets the credit, who builds the machinery. Yeah, that's. I am less concerned with that than I am with just getting us there. All right. So whoever's first, well done you. I'm looking forward to high fiving you and yeah. singing your praises until the day yeah. that I die. Absolutely. Okay. So there have been some naysayers out there, and in particular, there's one individual, and an article was published uh, back in March in the Guardian. A certain Irishman. By mm-hmm. the name of Dr. Joseph, uh, I guess you say his name, Roche? I believe so. Yeah. Um, I apologize if, I, if I've been mispronouncing his name. I believe yeah, that's I, how his name is pronounced. So what can we – I've read a little bit about him, and he doesn't seem to – apparently he was chosen for the mm-hmm. – for, was it for the top 100 that he was chosen? Yes, he was. And, and he got booted rather, rather quickly after his little expose in The Guardian, right? No, he didn't get booted. He okay. voluntarily withdrew oh, from the okay. candidate pool. Oh, okay. He withdrew. He withdrew. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was his choice. And and since then, um, I don't want to say that he's been excessively vocal because, you know, one piece in The Guardian is, is hardly the end of the world. Right. And to right. be quite honest, I was grateful that he wrote that piece because he had been quoted 
in other pieces written by other people as being very, very, very uh, opposed to the mission after you know becoming one of the 100. And I think a lot of those outside interviews mischaracterized his thought. Right. Certainly, he he clearly didn't have a lot of faith in the organization, and that's you know perfectly understandable. We're talking about doing something that no one's ever done before, and you know Mars One is still a bit you know nebulous in terms of its organization and and how exactly it's going to accomplish everything that it wants to do. So, I think you know at the end of the day, he was a little uncomfortable with the idea that he'd been selected for this for this candidacy. In what he saw was a sort of uh, flippant and unthorough manner. He didn't think that he had been questioned hard enough. He didn't think that the um, that any of the training up until then was significant. He didn't see enough effort. I think um, is is how he would put it uh, on the part of Mars One to really vet their candidates well. And that is certainly understandable because up until now there has been very little in the way of vetting. Right. You know, certainly they've we we've all spoken to the founder, we've all talked to the chief medical officer, we've had to pass certain physical health requirements, but it's been incredibly limited. And so I understand that he thought, well, this is this has just been done in a very haphazard manner. This is unprofessional, and I don't want to be part of it. The problem is that he pulled out of what could be the Apollo missions in the first week. Yeah. You know, there's another nine years of this plan before anyone goes anywhere. Exactly. That's nine years of training, nine years of testing, nine years of of education, of of getting to know your fellow uh, astronauts or or marstronauts, as we prefer to be called. (laughs) And and I sort of feel like he, you know, I I understand his concerns because I have many of them, you know, of my own, but... Uh, I just think it was a bit premature on his part. Yeah. And I hope well, and that he really kind of, I don't know if it was him or, or the media that was, that was talking to him, but they really kind of <laughs> blew it up as this, you know, they really painted him as the bad guy. I mean, as, as just basically coming out and saying that, that Mars one is a, is a, is a big, uh, I'm trying to think of the right it's word. For it. Yeah, 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 exactly. Is what he was saying. And, and the worst part about that, that's all media, because I, you know, Joseph uh, Roche, Dr. Roche, I'm sorry, to my knowledge, never said anything about this being a scam. He said, no, it, being, no. he said it was, in, in, you know, inconceivable, that it was not a feasible plan and that he didn't have faith that it would happen. But there was nothing in what he said that suggested that Basil Anthorpe or, or Dr. Kraft or anyone like that was trying to pull the wool over anyone's eyes. To call this a scam is a gross uh, mischaracterization of what Dr. Rush said. I agree. And I, and, and I think that's why he wrote the Guardian piece, you know, to say, no, 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 it's not a scam. It's just not going to happen. But because there had been so much great press from Mars One when they, when they first announced, there had to be, there was, an, there was inevitably going to be some backlash. Because once everyone had written the positive stories, Somebody had to write the negative stories, and he was sure, an excellent sure. foil for that narrative. Yeah, well, you you want the you want the reflection of that, the mirror image, and see what what the what the other side has to say about it. Now, for you though, I would say, in my estimation at this point, everything I'm reading about Mars One, I would say you're kind of been you've kind of been the poster child here, and that <laughs> you you've probably had the most publicity out of any of the Mars One Hundred that I'm aware of, unless there's somebody I'm missing out there, but. You you certainly have been all and welcome to toot your horn here a little bit, Sonia, because you've <laughs> you've really been out there in the public eye. 
Well, I, I've certainly been in, in the U.S. media uh, probably more more than others. There are plenty of other uh, Mars One candidates who have been heavily interviewed overseas. But, of course, American media thinks that they're top dog. It has helped that I, I sort of – I work in politics, so I have a you know, good understanding of how the media works and how they like to conduct their interviews. I've had a lot of media training from plenty of other people in my, in my field. So I was sort of a natural, a natural spokesperson uh, when, when people were looking for someone to talk to about this program. But there are plenty of other people making the rounds in media. One in particular is a, is a Brit. Um, for the life of me, I can't remember his last name now. His first name is Ryan. He just recently got his master's in physics. And is he's done shows with Neil deGrasse Tyson. He's done interviews with Baz mm-hmm. Landstorp. He's absolutely making the rounds as well. And... Uh, you know, you know, a lot of other people are are definitely doing the public circuit for sure. But um, I have had a leg up simply because I, you know, I was well placed. I was very well positioned. I was in Washington D.C., where you know, the media is already set up and ready to go. I have a husband who uh, is a is a writer and wrote at at some length about what our personal story was, and that and that got a lot of exposure. I was asked to write a piece for Time.com. And, and again, I, I just think that because I have a bit of experience in, in messaging just sort of generally, uh, I was sort of a natural fit for, for media presence. Yeah. Well, I have to say that uh, it is still remains today a really fascinating story. And we're, we're glad that you're representing the Lone Star State in this endeavor. <laughs> After all, this is a show about Texas and Texans, and, and we're really glad to, to have you out there. And I, I want to thank you very much for coming back on the show. It, oh, this is my pleasure. I look yeah. forward to it. it. It's it's indeed a privilege. And, you know, maybe next time I have you on, maybe it'll be a special episode Skyping from the Red Planet. <laughs> <laughs> a girl can dream. A yeah, girl can dream. Absolutely. That would be fantastic. Thank you so much, Sonia. It was my pleasure, Matthew. And thank you for listening. If you're enjoying the show, please kindly head over to iTunes and leave me a positive review. I would really, really appreciate that. want to mention that Voices of Texas is a proud member of the Texas Podcasting Network. Be sure to visit me online at VoicesOfTexas.com. Subscribe, if you're not already, over at iTunes or Stitcher. And be sure and follow me on Facebook and Twitter. Also, I would appreciate any support that you can give to the show at Patreon.com slash Voices of Texas. I'll be talking to you again next episode with another interesting Texan. Opinions of guests, co-hosts, and others appearing on this podcast are not necessarily the views of its host, producer, or affiliates. No part of this podcast may be reproduced or retransmitted in any way over any medium without express written consent of the producer.